We have been talking about winning the war within. Amen. Winning the war of temptation. Certainly we know that God is wanting to help us with this. Amen. So they do have outlines for you. Everybody should be getting an outline. Does everybody have an outline? Raise your hand if you have an outline. Awesome. This is a chance to kind of fill in the blanks. Amen. As we go, we'll put some things up on the screen and it'll make it a little more interactive that way. So God bless all of you for being here on a Wednesday night. Amen. Good to see my good buddy Chuck. Glad to have you with us. Amen. God bless. Amen. This McClary family, we sure love you guys. It's just an honor to have you guys with us. Amen. And uh, did you have a question or a comment? You just saying praise the Lord? Okay. <laughs> Brother James has. We need two more handouts. Brother uh, Derek is getting that available for you. Does everybody have a handout now? Awesome. Good. Amen. Well, I sort of ran out of time last week and I went five minutes over. So if all goes as planned, I'm going to try to give you those five minutes back tonight. Amen. It's my plan. Anyhow, it's my goal. Amen. But uh, I know we were talking about some uh, heavy stuff last week. But you know what? We're dealing with a world that's got a whole lot of heavy stuff in it, you know? So we got to be uh, realistic about what we're facing. I was, uh, I was told about a year ago of a book that I should read called The Cyber Effect. And um, so I was, uh, I can't remember where I was on the way to, but I was on an airplane and it, it was a long flight. I don't remember if I was going to Africa or Israel somewhere, but I thought I would read this book. And uh, I like being able to download books on my iPad because it's just a lot easier to carry a lot of books you know, in an iPad, it's much thinner and lighter, especially when you're traveling. So I started trying to read this book called The Cyber Effect, and it's really about how technology has really totally changed our world. And the author is a doctor of some sort, and other pastors had read it and had been recommended by some friends of mine. So I tried to read it. But I tell you what, I could only get through like the first hundred pages, and it was just so heavy. I just, I just couldn't hardly get through it. And um, I had to finally put it down because it's just so much darkness and how the devil is using technology to, to corrupt and to destroy our culture and our society. And uh, it's, being, it's being driven um, by the internet. And um, it, has, it has totally... I believe reshaped, you know, there's an argument that could be made that it was always out there, but now it's just been given, you know, greater visibility and access through the uh, ease and the, and the convenience of technology. But I think that it has also um, caused there to be a more rapid moral decline um, in, in our world. But in terms of trying to sort through all of this, I, I keep going back to the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, about greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so I, I'm excited tonight to be able to talk to you about the steps to overcoming temptation. Because when we talked about doing this series, I, I said, I don't want to just talk about the war within. I want to talk about winning the war within. Because if this is not a battle that we can win, then why even talk about it? It just gets more discouraging, more depressing. But we have to believe that we can win this war. And uh, we have to believe that we as Christians, full of the Holy Ghost, have the power and the authority to be able to win the war within, which is the battle of temptation. So that's kind of where we're at. And I didn't really get finished um, last week. Uh, you'll remember that I was talking to you about CovenantEyes.com. Uh, that comes from the scripture where... David talks about he would set no evil thing before his eye, that he made a covenant with his eye. And you have to make a covenant with your eyes just as you would make a covenant with your spouse. Um, just as when you came to the Lord and you made a covenant with the Lord, you have to make a covenant with your eyes. And we've been talking over the last couple of weeks about how temptation comes to us in the form of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So these are the three main uh, highways of temptation that, that go through every person's life. And so as we sort of looked at that and tried to get our arms around exactly 
you know, what the strategy was of the enemy, we begin to look for ways that we could be victorious. And one of the things that we talked about a lot last week was being able to equip ourselves with tools that will help us to win the war. And we talked about how important accountability is. And one of the great things about Covenant Eyes is that it gives, uh, it has a lot of different features, a lot of different uh, options. But one of the great things about it is that it gives us not just a filtering uh, device for our internet usage, uh, but it also is an accountability. And you can have both or you can have one or the other. It also has a rating system, uh, just like they use, you know, for movies with R and PG and all that. It has a rating system where it literally can rate every website. Uh, and then there's certain parameters that can be uh, set on your children's devices where, uh, you know, there's only certain uh, programs or websites or whatnot that can, they can have access to. It just has a lot of different features. So I encourage everybody to go to CovenantEyes.com. I did want to tell you, too, that I've spoke with one of their uh, leaders that lives up in Michigan. And when we conclude this series, which we're concluding it, I believe it's over the next couple of weeks, we go to our home groups on the last Wednesday of this month. And what we're going to do is in our home groups, I'm going to actually be interviewing this man uh, by uh, video. And uh, we're going to be recording that. And uh, we are going to attempt to make this not just available, but encourage everybody in the church to put their entire family into a, a safety, uh, what I believe is us being proactive rather than being reactive and saying, you know what, we're going to have covenant eyes, not just as a family, not just as an individual, but as a community of believers. And um, I think it's something like 15 bucks a month for your entire family and all of your electronic devices to be protected. I think $15 a month is a small price to pay. And United Pentecostal Church International and our superintendent, Brother Bernard, has partnered with Covenant Eyes. And so there's a lot of uh, uh, trust that goes into that, and there's a lot of, of positive things that I think will help us to be able to make sure uh, that we protect ourselves. We want to win the war before we're losing the war. Does that make sense? Sometimes people say, well, and we see this a lot with doing marriage counseling. People wait until their marriage is, you know, almost irrecoverable before they can finally say we need help but you know what it's great to go to marriage seminars when you're happily married it's great to go and talk with people whenever you know everything's going fine because so many times we wait until something's at a crisis point before we actually respond to it and uh, what we want to do to win this war is to recognize that this is something that is very very real in the world that we live, and everybody that has flesh, reach up right now and just pinch yourself and make sure you got flesh. <laughs> Some of you pinched your spouse. <laughs> everybody that has flesh is going to be tempted. So no one is exempt from this. This is not like, oh, you know, I've been in the church 30, 40 years. I would never, you know. Everybody that has flesh is of this world. We're natural human beings in a natural world, and there are temptations that are a part of it. So we have to be smart about this. And so one of the things we did, we started, we, we started, we tried to uh, work through a couple of these things last uh, Wednesday night, but we were talking about Scripture and how that um, James said, therefore confess your sins one to another, pray for one another that you may be healed. And we talked about what Paul was writing uh, when he said that we must walk in the Spirit. Paul is writing literally to the church when he says we must walk in the Spirit. He talks about this in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5 has a lot of really great verses that talks about this. Walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's Galatians 5.16. 5.17 goes on to say, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other. A lot of people are trying to live their Christianity, Christian life, so to speak, by keeping as much flesh involved in it as possible. Ladies and gentlemen, those two things are like oil and, and water. They will never, ever mix. You can't live a, a spiritual life and, and, and make um, 
yourself live in a, a disciplined culture where you're keen and you're aware of where the Spirit is leading if we're always feeding the flesh. There, there has to be a decrease of one so there can be an increase of another. This is why fasting helps us to overcome temptations of the flesh because you're decreasing one so that you can increase the other. So these two are in conflict uh, with one another. So we can't just do whatever we want because if we just do whatever we want, we gravitate back down to the default position, which is the flesh doing what it wants. So God promises that we have to be, we have to keep in step with the Spirit. It goes on and talks about the lust of the flesh in Galatians 5 and 16 and 25, and, 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 it, and it lays sort of the groundwork. We talked about that last week, but I want to go back and revisit that because the first, the only item that we got to under that category of walking in the Spirit was that we must walk in accountability, all right? That was what we talked about as it related uh, to the, the specific tool of covenant eyes. But I didn't have time to go into the others. I want to go into a little bit more detail tonight. The second thing is that we have to internalize Scripture. Brother uh, Showalter last Saturday night, I don't know if, if any of you were here for this, but he taught an incredible uh, study on soul winning, and he focused on the Word of God and the power of the Word of God. I think sometimes because we handle the Word of God so much, it's easy to get casual with it. I think sometimes we've got to be reminded how powerful the Word of God is. It really does change people's lives. And every time you speak the Word of God, every time you teach the Word of God, anytime you even memorize the Word of God, you are planting spiritual seeds that are going to bear fruit. And the Word of God has got to continually be a tool that we use. Now, the enemy would like for, for us to think, and I know he convinces a lot of people that it's not easy to understand, and it's, you know, it's not real, it's, it's symbolic, and, you know, it's, it's all of these things that is to discourage people from actually opening up their Bible and reading. But ladies and gentlemen, if you will begin to use the Word of God on a daily basis, you're going to find yourself starting to win all of these little battles that sometimes you feel totally powerless fighting. If you will just begin a daily routine of internalizing Scripture, the inspired words of the Spirit, internalizing them. To walk in the Spirit, we have to renovate our thoughts. And there is no better way, Paul talked about this in Romans 12, he said that by the renewing of your mind, we present our bodies a living sacrifice. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed, Romans 12, 2 says, by the renewing of your mind. How can you be transformed by the renewing of your mind? There's only one thing that renews your mind, and it is the internalization of Scripture. Putting the Word of God in your heart and in your mind. And so, He has revealed to us through the Word of God that as we walk in the Spirit, we internalize His Word, and we are able to not only become stronger spiritually, but we're able to have clarity of judgment and understanding. And we can then reject the lies that temptation and pornography sells to humanity every single second that we're alive on this planet. Lies, constant lies. Because even if we were to specifically target pornography, we would have to say that it is based in deception. There's no other way to say it. It's based on a false intimacy. And it's based on a lie. And so what that does is the Word of God is, is an awesome um, tool, if I can say it that way, to give you clarity of judgment and understanding. It's like being blind and putting on a pair of glasses, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, now I can see. When you put the Word of God in your heart, you're able to see what the enemy is trying to do. But without that, it's easy to fall for all the tricks of the enemy. So when Paul writes and says, keep in step with the Spirit, the word he uses is the same as that 
of an army that's marching in line, a platoon following its marching orders. Lest we think keeping in step with the Spirit is a purely mystical experience, Paul says that it's very, very practical. Keeping in step with the Spirit means obeying His clearly revealed orders. Now, one of the things that I've seen in pastoring now for a number of years is that the enemy always tries to convince people to do some grand, far-out uh, act or to come up with some new revelation that they think is, is, you know, there's not really anything that's new under the sun. Solomon said that. But to them, it's new. And they, they come up with this and they, they feel like that this is going to be the solution to all their problems when they have forsaken just the very basic things that all of us should do as Christians. Instead of focusing on those things, the enemy tries to create this, this picture that, that makes us want to you know, try to embrace some far out concept instead of just doing what all of us should be doing and that is following the clear, plain, laid out will of God and word of God. So many people say, I want to know what, I want to know what God's will is for my life. I, I want to know whether or not I should marry this person or I want to know whether or not I should go to this school or take this job. Or, and they want to know the unrevealed word of God, but yet they're not obeying the revealed word of God. Folks, if you obey the revealed word of God, then he will show you the unrevealed aspects of God's will. So that's the same principle as what we're talking about here. So we cannot claim to keep in step with God or with God's spirit if we ignore or disobey his writings, the principles of God's word. So the scriptures, which are his writings, we know that through the Bible, the Holy Spirit speaks very clear words to the church. This is another thing that we deal with today. Now people come to church and they say, I need a word, I need a word, I need a word. Well, guess what? There's a whole bunch of words right here in the word of God. <laughs> I'm crazy enough to believe that everything we need for life is in the word of God. I don't know if you remember that book that fellow wrote years ago called Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. I wanted to write a book that said everything I need to know I learned in the word of God. God created us and these are his spoken words. So everything we need is in the word of God. So God speaks to us very clearly through the word of God. So there was an individual, we all know him by the name of Paul. He was an expert in God's law. He knew all the writings of the prophets that they were breathed out by God, 2 Timothy 3.16. No less than 32 times in Paul's letter, he uses the phrase, it is written. You remember us talking about how Jesus resisted Satan with it is written? Well, Paul did the same thing. He uses the phrase, it is written, pointing to the writings of the prophets who came before him. Paul also knew that the Spirit was inspiring him and his fellow apostles. The Bible says that we have to worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, what is truth? That's the word of God. So when we worship God in spirit and in truth, which is the Holy Ghost working through us, and in truth is ingesting or internalizing the written word of God, we have fortified ourselves to be able to withstand uh, the enemy in this battle, this fight. Now, folks, if we looked at this from a natural standpoint, wouldn't it seem totally ludicrous for us as a nation to go to war and not bring any of our weapons? To train all of these special soldiers and special ops and all that and then not give them a weapon? To say, hey, we're going to, you know, attack and do this and do that and not have a weapon? You've got to have your weapons. You can't win a war without your weapons, right? <laughs> oh, I'm thinking of all kinds of examples of this. There are people that have their weapons on them when there's not a war, but just in case one breaks out. There's people sitting in this audience tonight that have a, a firearm on them right now. And you know why they're wearing that firearm? 
Just in case somebody gets mad at the pastor, they'll take them out. <laughs> well, I got to thinking if we're if we're so accustomed to do that. I mean, Florida, you know, we, we like the right, right to carry and all. I mean, to conceal. There's a lot of very favorable laws for us in that area. But if we're to do that, how much more so should we fortify ourselves with spiritual weapons? You say, well, I'm not really fighting any battles yet. But just in case one breaks out, you want to be able to have your weapons. So the Bible says that we don't have these carnal weapons, but we have these spiritual weapons to the pulling down of strongholds. And one of those that's very important is the Word of God. So Paul knew that, and we read about this even in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 5, that, that the Spirit was inspiring him and his fellow apostles to be able to internalize the Word of God. And that's very possible for us to do. The very fact that you're here tonight on a Bible study night is a part of your desire to do that. So the, the Scriptures are a gift. They are a gift from God to us. They are a gift. Just as the Holy Spirit is a gift, the written Word of God is a gift. And I'm so thankful I grew up in a home where my father was so uh, good with keeping us focused on the value of the Word of God. He would never allow any other books to be on top of the Bible. If there was a pile, that was back before, you know, you had Bibles on iPhones and iPads. We just had the old-fashioned Bibles. But if there was a stack of books, he'd always, I can remember as a kid, he'd always put the Bible on top of the stack of the other books. And so as a kid, I always saw that, and it was just sort of an unspoken way of communicating that this is what's most important. I don't want anything to cover this up. And I think it's awesome for us to always remind ourselves about how valuable the Word of God is. Let me hurry. Paul says in Romans 15, 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Isn't that awesome? He's saying it's written for us, for our learning, for us to have understanding. And so, you know, I, I can remember uh, preaching a message years ago that there's a, I think I called it, there's a shall in the book for you. And I went through all these, there's, you know, all these shall, S-H-A-L-L, that's in the Word of God. There's all of these shalls for all of us. Just like there's a whole bunch of shells on the beach for all of us. And you say, well, I go down. You, ever, you see people all the time wanting to pick up shells on the beach. And you think, well, what are they doing that for? Are they going to pick up all the shells and take them home with them? No, but, you know, three or four or five or seven. My kids love to do it. They'll find one has got a little unique, you know, color to it, and the way it's designed. And they're like, Dad, hold this. Dad, hold that. I go back, and I got all my pockets full of <laughs> shells. I'm the shell holder, I guess. And I thought about that. There's a shall in the book for you. You may not be able to get your arm around every promise that's in the Word of God, but if you can just get four or five shalls, you can make it, you know? The Lord said, I shall protect you. I shall keep you. My promises are for every single one of us. So we need to gravitate to that, and this will be a way that we can internalize the Word of God. Get a hold of some of those shalls and just hold them close to you and repeat them every day. It'll give us strength. All right. The next thing that we have to do, and we talked about accountability, and we talked about having um, an internalization of the Word of God in our heart and mind. The next thing that I believe is important is that we must walk in pure pleasure as opposed to impure pleasure. Now, this is something that I think the enemy has sold Christians a lot. People that don't understand the joy of the Lord, they think that they're really strong Christians the more miserable they are. The meaner look they have on their face and the more you know, despondent they are, the more spiritual they are. That's not biblical, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible said he's come to give us joy and joy more abundantly. Life more abundantly. Unspeakable joy. This is the kind of God that you and I serve. God's not against what's fun. God is the creator of fun. I have always believed that the happiest people on the planet ought to be Christians, not the most miserable. And I'm going to tell you what, folks, 
You're not much of a witness for the Lord when you're miserable all the time. Nobody wants what you've got. They want what you don't have. But if they see joy, when we were over in Israel, we met some uh, Jews that had converted to Christianity, and they asked us, they said, have you uh, actually spoken to people while you were over here, or did you just go and see rocks and stones? Or did you talk to some lively stones? And did you provoke them to jealousy? This one guy who had converted to Christianity, pastors of church, Christian church now in Caesarea, he asked us that question, and we said, yeah, we've talked with people and all that. And he got to talking about how that they are provoked by jealousy when Christians, true Christians, show the joy and the peace of God. Because he said, as Jews, we lack peace. So when it's undeniable that you have peace, guess what? That provokes them to jealousy. They want to have that kind of peace. Well, guess what, folks? We have a lot of people in this world that are miserable. But when they see someone who's happy, who's, you know, holds the door open, that goes, you know, most people are just going through life trying to survive. And it's almost, it, it almost throws them even when you're nice. I mean, people are so used to dealing with the public. Like the other day I went into, um, uh, what is this place up here? Texas Roadhouse Grill. We had on suits. We must have been coming from a service or something. I, Brother Showalter was with me. And uh, we had suits on and on. We were going back there and they brought us back there in the corner and all that. And the lady that was seating us, I said, I, you know, well, they, that place is known for throwing peanuts on the ground, right? So there were peanuts everywhere. Well, of course. That's what you do. You go there and you eat peanuts. You throw the shells on the ground and it's part of the whole ambience because you're not allowed to do that at home. So that's part of their whole shtick, as it were. So uh, we go back there, and we got on suits, and I said to the lady that was seating us, I said, I can't believe you brought us back here where this place is so messy with all these peanut shells on the ground. And she looked at me, and she had this horrified look on her face, and I go, I'm just teasing. She's like, oh, my God, I thought you were upset with me. <laughs> and anyhow, as we got to talking, they're not even used to people even teasing. They're used to somebody complaining about something. You know, and it almost takes them off guard because they're so used to another complaint. That's the kind of world we live in. But when you and I understand that real joy comes from the Lord, everything that the devil does, folks, is to create, try to create a false, deceptive, cheap replacement for what God and God alone gives. So how do we walk in true pleasure? Taking great delight in holy and wholesome longings. Finding pleasure in all that is honorable and pure and holy and excellent. That's what the Bible talks about. Paul talked about that in Philippians, which is a great book on joy. But he said, whatsoever things are good, think on these things. Whatsoever things are pure, think on these things. We ought to take great delight on things that are pure and things that are holy. If you're married, you should enjoy married life. You should turn off your computer and go to bed. Not everybody in here is married, so I'm going to have to stop right there. <laughs> but you get the idea. You know, the other day, <laughs> the other day, oh, forgive me for telling you all this. But the other day, where I'm with my kids, we're down on the beach, and it's nighttime now. The turtles are all coming up and laying their eggs on the beach down here in Melbourne Beach. And so it was late at night. It was like 11, 30, 12 o'clock, and we were seeing different turtles come up. you got to be real quiet, you know, until they start laying their eggs and all of that. And um, so somebody we ran into down there on the beach said, there's a great big one down there. So I said, okay. So I had Gregory and Luke and Sophia, and I was going down there, and I said, okay. We got down there, and we saw the tracks. And then we could see the, you know, we don't turn on the flashlight so our eyes get used to the darkness. We could see the big black blob up there, you know. And uh, they were like, oh, Dad, that's a huge turtle. And I said, it is. So my son Luke said, um, can I go up there and, and uh, look at it? So each one would take turns, and you'd have to sneak up real quiet, and you see if they're still kicking sand. They're still kicking sand. They're still digging the hole, and if they see you, they'll go back in the water because they don't know if you're a threat to the, the eggs they're laying and all that. So, so Luke kind of snuck up there, and he got as close as he could, and then he came back, and he goes, Dad, that is a huge turtle. I said, really? He said, I think it's got two heads. I said, well, surely not. And Gregory's like, I'll go check it out. So he went up there real quiet, real slow, 
got right up to it. And he looked, and then all of a sudden he come running back. And I said, what is it? He goes, it's two people! <laughs> I said, we may have seen something we weren't supposed to. Run, run, run! We were running down the beach. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I told my wife that, and I thought we were going to die laughing. But, <laughs> but really enjoying life, it ought to be the things that God has blessed us with, our family, our homes, our marriages, coming to church, worshiping God. There's so many things around us that God has blessed us with. And the enemy wants to blind you to all of that and try to give you some sort of a fake, cheap substitute. I'm going to tell you what the Word of God will do. It will unveil what really is of God. Let me quickly get through this because i got to get to our outline. I haven't even got to my outline. And now, because I told you all that, I've only got 11 minutes left. All right, number three. We have to walk in our true identity. That's another thing the enemy is always trying to do is to convince you that you are worth much less than you're worth. That's the thing he tries to do. He tries to convince you that you're, you're just not valuable. And yet we know through the Word of God that we are. So to listen to the cry of the Spirit in our hearts and to internalize the Word of God in our hearts is to understand what Paul was talking about in Romans when he said, we cry, Abba, Father, which means Dad. That's based on not a position as much as it's based on a relationship. So when we cry, Abba, Father, we have a a revelation of our new identity. To walk in the Spirit, we need to learn to relate to God from the depths of our soul. And to understand that, and, and Paul talks a lot about this in Romans, that God is not stuck with us. He adopted us. He said in that same chapter in Romans 8 that we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So he has adopted us he has brought us into a close relationship with him so that we can cry, Abba, Father. So the depths of our soul, as dearly loved, adopted sons and daughters, we begin to believe that we belong to God and that our ties to sin are broken forever. And folks, this is something that I think is so important. You have to always understand that God is much more loving than humans are. And when humans give up, God is still reaching. Don't ever forget that because you're going you're gonna to make mistakes. You're going to fall. But when you do, you got to recognize that God still loves you and he's still reaching for you. And he's got a plan of redemption and a plan of restoration. And if you and I can get a revelation that God is not this, some mean, you know, troll up there living under a bridge with a big zap stick waiting to destroy you, but that he's a loving God who cares about us and understands every trial and every struggle. And he's trying to help us to make it. We'll understand that loving relationship. If we can get it right with God, then that loving relationship with God will also filter into our relationships with one another. And the best thing, the best thing to fight an illicit, fake relationship, which is what pornography is, is to have a true relationship with God. And then let God grow that inside of each and every one of us. All right, number four. We must stir up the hope that the Spirit inspires us to do. There is place inside of every human being a desire to hope that tomorrow is going to be better than yesterday. That there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And then we have to walk in that hope. That hope of righteousness to walk in the spirit we have to wait eagerly for this hope putting faith in god's promises that we are destined for an eternity of purity and longing to see that purity spill over into our present lives we have to understand and never lose grip of the fact that there is an eternity that there is a heaven there is a god hallelujah that's going to keep us forever and ever and then let that hope that desire that belief that there is something greater than this life. Let that spill over into your present life. Because everything the enemy tries to do through temptation is to get you to take the bait of instant gratification. So like Esau did, 
So you'll sacrifice the promise, the birthright, for the immediate instant gratification, the bowl of pottage. That's what he wants you to do is to try to take that instant gratification as opposed to stepping back and stirring up that hope, that hope that we have in Christ. If we can keep that hope alive, guess what else we have? We have that hope of righteousness. You know what? I can live an overcoming life. I don't have to be defined by my mistakes. I can be defined by my victories in Christ Jesus. So we have to stir that up within us. Okay, let me get to the outline now. Are you ready? Are you ready? Who's up there? Sister Michelle's running the computer? My goodness. All right. Do you know how to turn on a computer? All right, Matthew chapter chapter 6 and verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now, before we get into filling these outlines, let me just say this. Notice how lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. Notice how those are part and parcel. Not leading us into temptation is also delivering us from evil. So many times we think of these things as being polar opposites or being mutually exclusive from one another. Well, I'm not involved in anything uh, evil, but to be delivered from evil is to not be led into temptation. Those two go together. All right, so step one, step one, and now we're talking about the steps to overcoming temptation. Step one is that we have to identify what makes us vulnerable. That's what you got to, you got to identify what makes you vulnerable. I was working with a, uh, I was working with a a man that was struggling uh, with pornography. He was a good man, good Christian man, loved God. And uh, he was struggling with pornography, had for years. And uh, so we talked about this very thing. We said, can we go way back to the beginning and say, well, how does it start for you to start going on to inappropriate websites? Where, where does it start? And he said, I've noticed a pattern. I said, what's the pattern? He said, the pattern is that it always starts by me looking at news, like news coming on the internet. Like, you know, people, remember the old days when we used to get newspapers and read the news through the newspaper? Well, people don't do that anymore. That's why the newspapers are all struggling. And then, you know, it used to be you get your news through the television. Well, nobody wants to watch that news anymore because, you know, what do they say? It's fake or it's not real or it's slanted or who knows what. You know, you think something's all real, then all of a sudden you hear, oh, no, that wasn't real. And then you hear something that's not real and it is real. And you don't know what to believe anymore. So what do people do? People get their news now from the Internet, right, or from their cell phones. So this friend I was working with, he said, every time I, I go, I start looking at the news. I'm like, well, yeah, that seems pretty common. Everybody go to the news. He says, I'll look at the news, and then I go to, excuse me, Brother James, for saying this, but this is what he was telling me. He says, this is not you. I'm not talking about you. I'm just, I got to go to British news agencies. So I know you're from England. I didn't want to offend you. He says, I'm looking through all of these different news. And then he said, I go over to the British, what is it, Daily Mail and BBC he says, I go over to the, the British uh, news wires or whatever, and then he said, I look at all of their different, and for some reason, that then leads to looking at stuff that he shouldn't look at. And he says, it always starts out casual. Well, you know, just like they talk about how there's certain drugs that are gateway drugs that then lead people to stronger drugs. Well, the same thing is true on the internet. You're looking, this is why Covenant Eyes is so good. You're looking at something that you think is just casual, and then all of a sudden it leads to something else, and then you jump to this and that, and all of a sudden you got stuff in front of you that you shouldn't have in front of you. So I said, okay, since we've identified what makes you vulnerable, we've got to go back and win that war. From now on, we get to get our news from something else other than from Fox and the Daily Mail and the BBC and whatever else is happening we got to figure out a way. You remember me telling you before about how I used to get tempted with Krispy Kreme donuts driving to Cocoa? I had to find a different way to go to Cocoa that didn't go by Krispy Kreme donuts because that, you know, fresh hot sign just drew me in like a spaceship, you know, with a laser beam or something. So you've got to go to finding what makes you vulnerable. 
You, you know, you start out watching something that may be just casual, and yet it leads to a greater appetite for something else. Then, ladies and gentlemen, you got to go back and you got to stop doing what may be casual for one person, but it's not casual for you. There are people that have been delivered from alcohol that are in our church, and when we go to eat, we never will go and eat at a place that serves alcohol for them. Because what may not be a temptation for me or for you can be for somebody who's been delivered from alcohol. So they don't even put themselves in that environment where alcohol is served. So if we're going to go eat with that person, they're not going to go eat at, you know, Applebee's or whatever. You're going to go to Cracker Barrel a lot because they don't want to put themselves in that environment. Paul said, you know what? If that's what, then honor that. He said no meat. They were dealing back then with meat that was offered to idols. He said, don't even put yourself in that environment. And if somebody else is restraining from that, then you should honor that as well. So this is the point. The point is that if you can identify what makes you vulnerable, then go back and deal with that issue because that's an easier battle to win than this one way over here. You see what I'm saying? All right, just giving you practical things on how to overcome it. Here's what Matthew 26, 41 says. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Watch. Now think about that word watch. That means be vigilant. That means be aware. Watch. Be circumspect. Don't just walk, you know, you know. Be aware of what, what this tempts. That's not good. When, when I'm there, then that causes certain emotions and feelings. In other words, if, we gonna, if we're going to win this war on temptation, then we've got to go all the way back and see what it is that makes us vulnerable. Okay? All right. So here's some things that we identify with what makes us vulnerable. We, here's what we have to identify. Let's identify when am I most tempted. When am I most tempted? This is something I found out when I was evangelizing. I think I preached a message on it years ago. It was a good one. I may go back and see if I can preach it again. It was called the battle that follows the blessing. Because I found that even in my own life, and I had other people that told me the same thing was true with them, after you had your greatest spiritual victory, you'd get hit. The enemy would come after you. I mean, you can come out of a, a fantastic Sunday service and get hit within an hour by the devil trying to throw something in your path. You've got to be able to identify when you're being tempted because if you can, you can be on guard for it. Okay, I know what this is. This is a trick of the enemy. You've got to identify where you're the most tempted. Identify where you're the most tempted. Where you're the most tempted. If you can identify where you're the most tempted, if you're struggling with, you know, cigarettes or alcohol, is there a certain environment or, you know, if, if, if there's something else that's in your life, understand where you're the most tempted. All right, the next one. Who is with me when I'm most tempted? <laughs> that's a good one right there. Who is with you when you're most tempted? Now, here's another good one. This is not on your chart. Who is with you when you're the least tempted? If you're not tempted when you're with your spouse, you and your spouse need to stay close together. Who is it that you're least tempted? You know what? If I get to the house of God, I'm not tempted. Then you need to be in the house of God every time the doors are open. Well, you need to do that anyhow. <laughs> but identify who you're with when you get tempted, who you're with when you're not tempted, and that ought to be a pretty easy decision. i got to hurry. Identify what temporarily benefit do I get if I give in? What temporary benefit do I get if I give in? Because here's why that's important to understand. If you can identify the benefit that you get, you'll be able to see how temporary it is. And always understand this about temptation from the enemy. Every temporary benefit that he gives you has a more long-lasting consequence to it. Understand that about temptation. There's a benefit, otherwise it would, you know, we wouldn't be temptation. But it's always temporary, and then what comes after the temporary benefit is always more destructive and more long-term. 
If you can identify what the benefit is, then you can be able to see it for what it is, and that is that it's temporary. And God will then show you how you can have that same benefit through Him, and it's much longer, and it's really what God created us to be. And that is vessels of His Spirit. All right, how do I feel right before I'm tempted? How do I feel right before I'm tempted? This is how you overcome temptation. You see all of these things, you see what they're focusing on? They're focusing on winning it becomes, before it becomes a runaway train. You got to win it. You got to win the war right at the very beginning. All right? All right, step two. Plan. Everybody say plan. Plan to avoid it. Plan to avoid it. you got to plan to avoid it. You can't just somehow accidentally avoid it. Because the enemy's always trying to find a way of convincing you that nobody will know and nobody's going to get hurt and you're going to feel so much better. And I mean, you know, this is, we know drugs is, is killing people and lives and families and relationships and health and everything else, but yet convinces people to take drugs all the time. So you can't go into it and then hope you avoid it. You have to plan on avoiding it. Proverbs 4, 26, 27. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Now do you notice that it says remove thy foot from evil? Not stand there until God picks up your foot and removes it for you. The Bible says flee youthful lust. There's things that you have to do. You have to take the initiative. you got to be proactive in it. And so many times the enemy will convince you, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's just, it's just an innocent lunch. You're just going to go out with a co-worker. But you know you're attracted to that co-worker. So don't feed that. Don't feed that. The enemy will always try to convince you that it's casual, and it's innocent. And you know what happens? He just lays the trap. Lays the trap. You've got to plan to avoid it. You know, when I meet with people, I believe Billy Graham had the answer on this. Billy Graham never met. He was a minister all these years, never had no scandal brought against him. Let me tell you something. He always had a rule of thumb, and that is that he would never meet with somebody of the opposite sex without somebody else being present. So we have a guideline here that I never meet with somebody of the, of the opposite sex with my door closed. Never do. And sometimes people will come in and, that are females and say, you know, I want to speak to you privately. Is it okay if I close the door? I said, no, not okay. This is our policy, and if you want to talk to me, this is what you'll have to do. And you know what? I think most people appreciate that. But you know what, folks? You have to be intentional about it. Because a lot of things that begin innocent become a catastrophe so you have to be intentional about it you have to plan to avoid it and you're the one that has to put those barriers in place let me just say this for what it's worth i don't even know why this is not my note i'm not planning on saying any of this but the lord just put this in my heart there are certain barriers between male and females that you and i should not remove you shouldn't tell off-color jokes with a person of the opposite sex that's not your spouse that breaks down a wall that should not come down. There should be boundaries and barriers. And there are certain things that just shouldn't be said. Because what does it do? It makes things become too casual. And it all starts in conversation. And then one thing leads to another, and then there's this, there's this connection, as it were. Because walls, and it may be innocent in nature, but it just breaks down barriers. Keep the barriers up. There's a reason for that. You know, I could give you a lot of examples, but I got to move on because I'm already over time. All right, I'm going to conclude right here. Step three, guard your heart. You got to guard your heart. Guard your heart. James 1.14, but, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Mark 7 for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, 
fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. My word, all of that comes out of the heart. So you know what you got to do? You got to guard your heart. Have you ever noticed in our world, people always make a sound, well, I didn't know I, you know, I felt that way. Almost like we're a slave to our emotions. You got to have the word of God, the spirit of God in you. That's what you got to follow. Not your feelings, not your emotions. They will deceive you. So guard your heart. Don't let anything lodge in your heart. Let me tell you something. The number one thing that leads people into temptation is a wounded spirit. Just refuse to have a wounded spirit. Don't hold grudges. Don't let things lodge in your spirit. Put it under the blood and say, Lord, you called me to worship you, and every day I'm going to be appreciative, and I'm going to thank God. Because if you can keep a heart and a mind, a spirit of appreciation and be a worshiper of God, ladies and gentlemen, that keeps you in the center of God's will for your life. Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Guard your heart. Don't let anything get in your spirit that shouldn't belong. If you can guard your spirit, if you can guard your heart, you can overcome temptation. Isn't God good? Why don't we stand to our feet tonight? What a great audience you've been. And maybe next week when Brother Richie teaches, he'll give you that five minutes. But, but I'm preaching this Sunday, so maybe I can fit it in. But I'm going to give you that five minutes back somehow, somewhere. Amen. But God is good, isn't he? So thankful for the family of God and the Word of God. Why don't we lift our hands and thank Him. Lord, I thank You, God, that Your Word, Thy Word have I hid in my heart. Your servant David said that I might not sin against Thee, Lord. I thank You for Your Spirit that is leading us and Your Word that fortifies us, Lord. I thank You, God, that You have made a way of escape that we can win this war from within. We know we're dealing with flesh and we know, God, we can't divorce ourselves from our own inclinations as a human being. But God, you have equipped us with the tools, with the weapons of warfare that we can be victorious. Help us, God, to take up those weapons, to equip ourselves and to be victorious day to day in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.